and welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast number 67. Uh, our topic tonight is going to be adult children of same-sex parents. Uh, joining me this evening, Mac. Born of man and woman. Excellent. Ian. Well, I'd make that same claim, but I don't actually have any um, evidence outside of the claims my parents have made. Kimberly? Um, I'm here, and, and I had parents. I was not hatched. Not hatched. Excellent. And our special guest, Michael Clifton. Um, a bird pooped on a rock and the sun hatched me. And I am your host, Brian, and I'm pretty sure I was delivered by a stork. Uh, Wait a minute, Michael. Did you come from the bird poop or did you come from under the rock? Oh, I'm yes. I'm not clear on the origin story here. <laughs> Both. I grew up on a boat when the world was flooded. <laughs> How is everybody doing? I'm doing, doing all right. Now, we were supposed to have another special guest this evening, too. Uh, Misty was supposed to join us, so um, uh, she needs a little shaming for not being here. Uh, I'll be watching like a hawk for her to come on Skype. If she pops up, we'll add her. All right. We'll get her. And uh, But we got a lot of stuff tonight, so uh, let's get started with announcements. All right. I'll go through these pretty quick. We've got Tuesday, September 18th, the Denver Atheists are doing a social at the Vine Street Pub. It's a great place, and it's just going to be an open discussion kind of hangout. Wednesday the 19th is 60 Minutes in Space at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. The following night, Thursday the 20th, is Science Lounge. This one's called Whiskey the West. So we like whiskey. That should be fun. Yeah. On Friday the 21st, the Humanists on the Move are doing a hike and dinner for the autumnal equinox. The next day, the 22nd, they're doing um, disc golf over at Expedition Park. On Thursday, September 27th, Mile High Skeptics are doing Light the Walk. I still don't know too much about that. I'm going to try to get more information on that next week. On the 28th, back at the museum, Bacchus Raucus, a party in Pompeii celebrating their new exhibit that's just going to be opening. On Tuesday, October 2nd, uh, Volcanoes on the Verge. Again, part of that Pompeii kind of thing, um, and volcanoes are cool. It's a little bit connected with uh, maybe tonight's discussion. On Wednesday, October 3rd, the Boulder Atheists are doing their Atheist Classroom Series on the History of Marriage. October 6th is a Saturday, and uh, CoCor is not really sponsoring it, but, but kind of trying to get some people together for the We Are Women March. I went to it last year. It was pretty well attended and an important topic, I think, especially given the election year. Thursday the 18th, uh, I wanted to mention this because back at the museum, they're doing another science lounge, and this one's on Superheroes Assemble. And I think that has something to do with the following, with the weekend coming up there for Mile High Con. I'm going to turn that over to Ian for yeah. info on that. Well, um, I bring it up every year. Um, Mile High Con is the Denver area um, genre fiction convention. They have all a bunch of local writers there. I know a few people that check out our podcast or regular people I meet there. Um, it's a great convention to come. I will be there the whole weekend doing panels and such, although I will be focusing on my writing, not the, um, skeptic part of it. But I, if you meet me there and want to talk to skeptics, I'm more than willing to. Excellent. And so, um, also a quick clarification regarding Glenn's email? Yeah. Glenn, he's the one who, a little while back, um, sent us the email about right. his friend who they're having the word discussing about vaccine. And it got kind of weird because the friend was saying something about, well, couldn't vaccines be considered the cause of autism because more kids are surviving who get autism? But Glenn sent us an email to clarify that his friend himself believes in vaccines. His friend apparently was a little upset, and his friend is now a regular listener to a podcast. So we'll make sure we clarify that. His friend d does believe in vaccines. This was just a hypothetical argument they had come up with. 
And so, um, you know, we, we we'll make sure we clear that up and bring up, you know, anytime you guys give us feedback, we love to reply on it and make sure you know we're listening to you. So, we had a thank little you. Wait, hold, hold on a second. Hold on a second. So his friend was upset and is now a regular listener? Yes. He so wasn't upset with us. what we need to do us. is actually individually piss people off. <laughs> no, and, no. Uh, he, I think that he, <laughs> well, the, the upsetting thing was that they were having a hypothetical discussion, but that wasn't necessarily how it was posed to us. Yes. And so we were responding to it in right. a manner that was um, different than the original context. Right. But apparently he got his friend to start listening to the podcast and he says his friend hooked on it. And so it's like, well, you know, the least we can do is say thank you for listening to the podcast. We understand, we, you know, it, we just took your question literally and looked at it from someone actually arguing that point as if they really believed in it. So, yep. Glenn and friend, welcome. Yeah. So um, I've got the... some announcements, too. OK, go ahead. Okay, for Colorado Springs, tomorrow there will be uh, the Colorado Springs Bodhi Mind Meetup Group. We'll have a Buddhist meditation if you want to see what that's like. And also, at the same time, the Pueblo Awakening Group will have a prayer service for peace. But this is a Unitarian-style prayer service. So um, everyone, even non-believers, are welcome. Also, uh, on Wednesday, the Colorado Springs Magical Community will celebrate Woman Song. And on Saturday, Coven of the Five Elements will be having their coffee social. And on, let's see, sorry, September 23rd, uh, Pikes Peak Skeptic Society will have their uh, Secular Sundays brunch. And this one will be at the Eastside Panera in Colorado Springs. And that's all. Well, send us the links to those so we can throw them in the document. Will that do. way, all our, uh, hopefully our listeners know this. Go to our, our website, and we have links to all these events um, with the podcast notes. So if you've been yeah. wondering about getting to them, go to the website and check it out. That's where we have the information. And, of course, the this this podcast won't probably be up till Wednesday. Yeah, so the first few of those, yeah, so, we've got three okay. people probably missed. Yeah, but hopefully so they'll get to that Saturday that. one. And they're good to know about because it sounds like they're kind of regular things down there. So Absolutely. if you miss this one, get to the next one. All right, so <clears throat> Kimberly. Of course, for our uh, Gallifreyan listeners who are downloading this tonight on Wednesday. <laughs> well, Gallifrey's been destroyed. Oh, boy. All right, so uh, several of us, myself and Kimberly and Michael, uh, all went to the uh, Atheist, of, uh, Atheist Alliance of America conference, uh, the Ascension of Atheism. I guess it was, it was two weekends ago now. Uh, we had, I, I think we had a great time. Kimberly, of course, was, uh, was, was busy. She was, uh. I did some running around. Yeah. And just... aren't you guys glad I'm not mentioning it as coming up anymore? Yeah. I mean, I, I realized that you had to listen to me say that about a thousand times over the last couple of months. But, uh, yeah, I, I didn't get to see too much. But it, uh, and I, I was putting out fires all over the place. But I, I'm even mentioned to somebody that weekend. It seemed like impossible situations came up and were just, Almost magically taken care of. Uh, things really just kind of fell into place. So it was, it was very, really good that way. The, uh, the cool thing for me was having listeners come up and, and say hi. And a few of them did. And that was, oh, that yeah? was pretty neat. Yeah. I, uh, Who'd you they, meet? Any names um, you can share? Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I tell you, um, two of them were named Robert. And, okay. uh, and the other gentleman, I, I unfortunately can't remember his name. I don't think I wrote it down. Um, but, you know, so I met three people and, uh, two of which are named Robert. So two thirds of our listeners are named Robert. Interesting. Yeah. Fascinating. What are we doing right study? with Roberts? I don't, I don't know. What's that? I think that's a flawed study. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> I think the sample size is not sufficient. I, I, okay. 
You know, I, I always joke, you know, about us having only our three listeners. And so it, it is kind of funny that uh, three of them came up and said hi to me while I was there. <laughs> uh, so that was pretty neat. That, w- that was fun. And I'll tell you what, I, I felt like I was running for, for office because it was like, hi, my name is Brian. Here's my card. Hi, my name is Brian. Here's my card. Yeah. Uh, so I think I every, I, most people that I met got a card. I know that I got a card for you. You did, yeah. Well, and you were you were there with me most of the time. I was pretty consistent, wasn't I? Mm-hmm. So I was uh, I was out uh, promoting, fighting the good fight. Yeah. But it was it was and it the was cards a lot of fun. look great, by the way, too. Oh, so thank any you. listeners who want to win one, all you have to do is email <laughs> us with an address, and we will ship you a card if you are the one of a thousand lucky winners. <laughs> Uh, I'm the, making promises. Yeah, you yeah, you, boy, <laughs> you're making a check we can't cash. Uh, <laughs> but you know, the other thing is that I had a shirt made for this, and um, you know, when I made the shirt, I, I published it on Facebook, and so people could go and have that shirt made. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the the artwork is up there, and through Cafe yeah. Press, you can make anything into a shirt. So. Um, and as long as they aren't reselling it, it's perfectly legal. I'm, uh, I gotta tell you. All right. So, yeah. but otherwise, you got to see a lot more of the convention. I did. You know, it wasn't just the amateur skeptics at the atheist. No, 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 no. It, it certainly yeah. wasn't. It was. Uh, what was the best one for you? Hmm. You know, I, I don't know. There was a lot of good talks, and um, I, I was. Uh, was the, I, I couldn't tell you who the best was. I'll tell you the the, the ones, of course, that I that um, with the whole atheism plus stuff going on. Um, that though all that was interesting. I got to say, um, Mikey Weinstein was probably yeah. the the best one. Yeah, he was great. Um, and what he's doing with the military religious um, military. I can't remember. MRFF, Military Religious Freedom Foundation. Yeah, it is pretty neat, and that was pretty funny because so I'm um I knew the hotel and I knew the room that we were going to um because uh uh I have I our um we have a local um I'm I'm a member of a seismic association and uh or at least the company is and uh, so every year they have a lunch for us and so and it's always in the same place in that hotel and so i'm leading a bunch of people over there and uh and there's one guy who has two guards and we're like what's that all about you know and then they wouldn't let us on the elevator with him uh and that was that that turned out to be uh Mikey Weinstein and so his um he he had uh, he had two guards with him um the the whole night um surveying the room and everything wow and uh, he yeah. was was that here in uh, Colorado Springs, he was at uh, a local bookstore, and he not only had his bodyguards, but the police surrounded the area. Really? Yeah. <clears throat> he gets a lot of threats. <clears throat> in yeah, fact, what did he say? Bad. He said he got ten about coming to this conference, and he got one when they when they landed at the airport, and one in the hotel room just before he came up to speak. So, in his book, No Snowflake in an Avalanche. Uh, he outlines how he's even had his dog killed on his premises, you know, and that's really depressing. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a great speaker, though. Yeah, he was. And of course, I, I got to meet a lot of, uh, a lot, a lot of people. I met, um, well, I met Greta Christina, and so that was pretty neat. I got to talk to her. Um, I met another, uh, gentleman by the name of Jeff, uh, Satterwhite. And, uh, we're gonna have him on, oh, we're gonna have, probably have Greta Christina too on the show, and Jeff. And Jeff is a, a member of the Clergy Project. So he's just now uh, going public. He he told his uh, he told his parents last week that he was an atheist, and I asked him, "So how'd that go?" He goes, "Not well." 
So, it's like, so it's, so he's having a rough time with that. Um, Robert Walker, actually, and his talk was fun too. I enjoyed that. Um, and he's a, a, a cockpit atheist is mm-hmm. his, uh, his handle. He was there. Um, I drove him in from the airport. Really sweet kid. Yeah. He, he was nice. And then, uh, what is, is it? Jamil, Jamila, Jam, Jamila Bay. Yeah. Bay. Yeah. She's a, she is a pretty neat lady too. And, uh, her talk was a lot of fun. So yeah, so I, and so I, I met a lot of people, and I also met uh, uh, Seth uh, Seth Andrews from the Thinking Atheist podcast, and that He's was fun. A character. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I had wanted to talk to him because he got ambushed on Skeptico, and I don't. Do you guys know what Skeptico is? Just from you, I still have not gotten a chance to listen to it. Yeah, and, and it's it's one of those ones. You, I mean, yeah, you, you listen to a, a couple of them, and you realize that it's it's all about consciousness, and and at some point in the interview, Seth asks him. It, is that all you talk? Is that the only thing you guys talk about, or that you talk about on your podcast? Is um, uh, is consciousness? And he's, and of course, you know, well, yeah, of course, because that's the most important question: Does consciousness survive death? And you know, and he, <laughs> so, so he's, so he, you know, and I, so I asked him. I said, how did, how did you get, how did you do this? He said, I didn't vet the guy. And uh, so that that was a really good conversation. And in the end, you know, and they, you know, he wants some. Um, uh, Alex Atiris wants him to come back, right, and do a second part of this interview. And at the end, you know, he's he, he decided he wouldn't come back. And, you know, Alex Atiris is like, you know, you're going to lose credibility, yada, yada. I'm like, he's not going to lose credibility. You bring him onto your show, and he loves to do this to skeptics. He brings him on the show, and then he ambushes him, right? And so he's counting on the fact that they haven't vetted him uh, in most cases. Um, like, uh, uh, I, can't, I can't remember, Novella. Um, Steve, Steve Novella, of course, knew who he was and was more prepared. Um, and I think even uh, Karen Stoll's now was more prepared, but still kind of got ambushed with you know. The, but she was very good at saying, "Listen, that's that's not my field." And uh, so, but there he, is one one set of uh, events that uh, you you guys need to keep your eyes out for on October fourteenth, I believe. Richard Dawkins will be flying into the state, and then on the 15th and 16th, he's supposed to have some events. Okay. Those haven't been announced yet, but I do have that on good authority from the Richard Dawkins Foundation. All right. Well, cool. we will definitely do that. So anyway, so I had a good talk with Seth, and I told him don't go back. I said don't do it. I mean how can he lose any credibility uh, by not going back, really? Um, he's not going to lose credibility with me. You know, uh, and he's not gonna lose, he, he'll, he's not gonna, he can't lose any more credibility with the people he didn't have credibility with in the first place. That's a good point. Yeah, so I, for him, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, he can only lose by going back on, so. So this Skeptico podcast pretends to be a skeptics podcast, but is really a believer or a woo believer podcast? He, he, you know, he claims that he's following the evidence, but he likes to look at fringe stuff that, hasn't been fully vetted and isn't supported and isn't completely at this point peer reviewed and certainly not mainstream. And since what how he does is consider, how can you consider does consciousness survive after death to be something that's following the evidence? Well, because he's looking at NDEs, he's looking at um, near death experiences and they're looking at those anecdotes and trying to form data from them, which I, I am skeptical of the whole modality of of getting uh, reasonable data from there but they make a lot of claims and uh, there are some researchers that are doing it some better than others um but that what he doesn't do it seems to me uh is look at um like get your your premier neurologists and stuff like that on the show to talk about how these pieces 
you know, that we can't explain the whole thing. It's one of those deals where because of science can't explain it, this has to be the answer type of thing. And uh, so, but he's not looking at like each component. What what can we ac- explain of that experience with with, with brain research? He really well, does not. Your death experience is not death. Well, and I tend to agree with that as well. That that is one of the assessments that I have. Um, but there are some interesting cases where these people do seem to be hyper aware when they're in this near death experience state that we do not have an explanation for. Right. Um. But that's as far as I think you can really go is we can't explain that, right? Because they don't have, they don't have a mechanism other than, um, it's supernatural, consciousness survives death, and, you know, this is the proof. Well, even if that's true, for how long? You know, I mean, where is it gonna go? I mean, th- there's a lot of stuff that they can't answer either, so they must be wrong because they can't answer that stuff. I, I guess I need to see some more of the evidence that you're talking about because everything I've seen has been very summarily dismissed as just, that's what the brain does without Oxygen. He does talk to these researchers, but what he does, if you're a skeptic, he comes on and he just wants to talk about the one thing. Um, he, like Seth Andrews thought he was going on to talk about what he does because he was invited onto another podcast. So if Dorsey's thinking the guy's interested in what he does, right? Because if we, because if we ask somebody onto this show, we want to know what they do. We didn't, we didn't have Garth, um, Sundam on and ask him about, you know, um, uh, mealworms. Right? It was in his field. We asked him about right, his well, we book. We gave this guy too much time anyway. He's All right, an I'm sorry. And I don't want to talk about All right, okay. <laughs> I All right. could go on, clearly. <laughs> I'm sorry. So no, the follow-up okay. on the animal trafficking thing. Yes, what is that? Oh, this was of- just a story that came in today, I think, um, and uh, or was updated, I guess, today. And it was just a little bit more about the... Uh, Animal trafficking. Uh, the NYPD uncovered a stash of exotic animals. It was sent to me. I just thought I wanted to share it since we went over it um, an episode or two ago. And uh, it does happen. And uh, it's you that know, unregulated market we talked about. I, I kind of got the impression, though, that the, that those that stash of exotic animals wasn't being sold. I got the impression they were pets. Well, they had to have been sold at one point, right? Well, yeah. But I mean, all those things are all those things that they mentioned, except the alligators, are legal to sell. They weren't legal to have where he had them. But yeah. bearded dragons are legal. Pythons, boas, those are legal. I, I kind of took issue with them referring to pythons and whoa, boas. Whoa, 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 whoa. As being hold on, hold snakes. on, hold on, hold on. You cannot say pythons and boas, boas are legal. That, I mean, that, that is the, um, that's not true. Um, there are certain boas and pythons that are legal, but there is a lot that are not legal. Many that are not legal. Okay. Uh, All right. So I'm overgeneralizing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But they didn't. They didn't give a specific on the species that the species he had there anyway. They said five deadly snakes, including boas and pythons. Well, and your so, your deadly snakes are generally, you know, um, not trafficable. Uh, boas and pythons. I mean, like a red-tailed boa, your common boa is certainly. I mean, most of those are in born in captivity at this point anyway. Um, but there are more exotic species that are only caught in the wild. Okay. Are there any snakes that are vegetarian? Uh, no, they're real animals. So technically, they're all deadly snakes to something. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. All right. Uh, how to tell if your religious liberties are being repressed, Ian? Well, this was just something I figured I want in there for um, any of our listeners who have um, friends and family that often talk. You know, the Christian ones who how we're being repressed because of whatever. Um, have them take this test. It's a very well done test that um, gives ten questions and um, it's multiple choice A or B. And I'll, I'll just um, well, question number eight. 
my religious liberty is at risk because A, another religious group has been declared the official faith of my country, or B, my own religious group is not given status as the official faith of my country. Hmm. And all, all the questions are basically like that. And at the end it says if you've answered A to any question, then perhaps your religious liberty is indeed at stake. You and your faith group have every right to advocate for equal protection. But just remember this one little constitutional concept. That means that you can fight for your equality, not your superiority. And it says, if you answered B to any question, then not only is your religious liberty not at stake, but there is a strong chance that you are oppressing the religious liberties of others. This is the point where I would invite you to refer back to the tenets of your faith, especially the ones about your neighbors. But it just, you know, and especially with a lot of the stuff we talk about, this fits in, like tonight, that the main topic, the people who, um... Are, are against the same-sex unions and such, same, you know, same-sex parenting, are generally the ones who will say that b because of same-sex parenting, their liberties are um, being attacked. How dare you attack my religion by allowing this stuff to happen? And so I figured this was a very fitting thing to make sure people could check out. All right. Yep. It's a good, it's a good article. All right. Let's move on to our main topic. And uh, so this is an article uh, published in uh, Social Science Research, and the name of it is... How different are adult parents or are adult children of parents who have same sex relationships? Findings from a from the new family structure study. So this is and it was done by Mark. I'm Rignaris. guessing it's Rigneris. Rigneris. Okay. Yeah, it's not uh, it's not douchebag like you pronounced it right. earlier. I think it's actually Rigneris. And uh, he's at um, a university in Texas. Right. Uh, yeah, University of Texas Austin at Austin. And uh, so he did a, a research paper um, where he he looked at. Um, well, he he's been. I mean, of course, the he cites a lot of sources in the beginning, talking about um, other research research that has been done, and he talks about the flaws in methodology and those other ones, uh, specifically looking at um, uh, lesbian parents um, raising children, um, who in a lot of these studies either show no difference or they would sometimes will show a positive outcome for um, two women raising a child. And uh, he points out that some that there's some bias in these studies and some um, questionable methodology. And uh, he specifically, let's see about that. Sorry, I have a lot of notes on this. Well, he was specifically talking about how the uh, the, the studies they were um, that it was the mother's self-reporting for the children. Okay. So the idea is that that because they're telling other people how well their child is doing, that there's some bias okay. there, and that's yeah, I mean, okay, great. That's I, a reasonable. That's a reasonable thing to say. <clears throat> You know, every Absolutely. mom is going to say their children's doing, their children are doing great. Right. And kids may say something entirely different. Right. So I, I, so I started thinking about this. Okay. So if, if we're going to do a study like this, I, I, I started thinking about what are the factors that need to be involved for coming up with, um, valid criteria in the end. And so some of the factors that I thought needed to be looked at were income. Social status. So, uh, you know, how accepting is the community of, uh, of these same sex couples? Support from family, uh, brothers, sisters, grandparents, etc. I thought would be important. I thought race would be a, a factor that should probably be looked at. Um, and then, shouldn't then, be. what's that? Shouldn't be. It no, shouldn't. I really? Because I, you don't think that race is a demographic that we should look at when we're looking at these? You could eliminate the, the word race and, and insert a variable of how much the uh, community around them is supportive, but how are you going to measure that versus just noting what race they are? It's well, very hard to measure how supportive the family is 
You're dealing with a homosexual couple to begin with, so yeah. it'd be hard to measure exactly how their race has anything to do with it. Okay. Homosexual, um, well, and and you're if you go with race, you're generalizing the beliefs of that race, and that's a pretty slippery damn slope, Brian. Okay, I I, I don't like it. Well, I mean, but you could I, say I think it's a, a pretty salient factor culture. in any kind of demographic research. And that's all we're doing here. We are not talking about individuals. We are talking about data. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And that was my, and that was my opinion as well, that we are doing demographic research here. Okay. And and we can pretend we're all colorblind, but no, but we're not matters in any demographic study. I mean, it's demographics. That's how you break people down into, into discrete categories for analysis. It's not saying anybody's doing anything wrong. It's just, that's how demographic research is done. Well, but don't we do this all the time? We compare, um, white families raising children to black families raising children in, 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 in studies all the time. Does it make it right? What do you mean? What's not right about it? I mean, these these exists. We're not talking about what what our ideal world is. There are there are black communities and there are white communities, and whether we like it or not doesn't change the fact that they exist. Don't like it. And from existing like demographics you data, you you could probably make the assumption that uh, different races are are more or less likely to have a grandparent involved if it's a lesbian couple. You know, you can, and that sort of support system whereby, you know, a certain demographic just does not, you know, on average support in, you know, in between generations in our country. That is very important to know. And it's very important to point it out for being wrong. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I don't think that I'm justifying it by including it in my list of criteria. I'm just acknowledging the fact that it exists. Okay, I'll drop it. I, I don't know, it, uh, Michael. I th- it sounds like I'm on sound footing with that. Uh, I would say so. And at the end of every study, the researchers have plenty of room at the end to put in some social criticism and say how wrong it is. And I would expect that social criticism to be there in a good study. Okay. Um, and then the other one, I, I know that this one is difficult, but I thought social status. And, and when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about are 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 is your community accepting of your relationship? So I, I, cause I thought what, what I was thinking when I put that on there was like, um, I, uh, I have, um, my, my daughter has a friend who has two moms and we go to the open school and in that environment, that's perfectly fine. Very acceptable. But if we were to take that and put that in a school and, and I don't know, I, I would use, maybe use Cherry Creek as an example, but maybe that's not even good. I, um, I don't know. A small school in Nebraska. There you go. Where that's not acceptable that that child might have a harder time and they might have a harder time in their community depending on how people felt about their relationship. And I thought that I don't know how I would measure that perhaps, but I thought that I thought that it it, it should at least be acknowledged that that can make a difference. If you if you studied the city where the uh, respondent grew up and charted that out on a map, you'd probably get what you're looking for. Okay. So what have I forgotten? And if I understand right, you're asking if I were to do this study, what kind of criteria would I would I study, right? And well, he, means- he has forty others. I mean, he has a bunch of other yeah. stuff, but I'm just talking about overall. I mean, uh, and and there's probably way more. In fact, he's got way more in this study. But I thought these were important. Yeah. Well, to me, one of the bigger problems is the size of the po- any possible test group you have. It's still not 
you know, the, the, this I, I I don't have all the information, but I know that it's still not popular enough to really have that huge of an amount of people that have been ra- um, raised to adulthood in same-sex couples. Okay. So you, you have a very, very limited amount of people to work from, which um, definitely makes it very hard to be able to do any kind of study like this. In his study, he surveyed uh, ages 18 to 39. He had... Just under three thousand people in his wow. survey group, but 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 there, there's a caveat here. Okay. Only 175 of those are reported mothers um, who had same-sex romantic relationships. It's only five percent, and only two percent was only two percent. <laughs> Seventy-three who reported, you know, growing up, and then he had criteria for how long they lived with that with um, right. with the with the their mother or father's partner. Um, and certainly this study does not address same-sex couples that are stable who have decided to have a children, whether that child is adopted or biological. So this study actually I think would be better in 20, 30 years with how popular this is now becoming. So then 20, 30 years we have, we'll have a much better group to work with to research from. Yeah. Um, yeah, so his, so this particular study was, it it really does not it it doesn't address children growing up in a stable home with um, two mothers or two fathers, and well, which is a much more common thing little, nowadays. That's fine. Yeah, we can. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Kimberly. Well, I was just saying uh, for our listeners, let's talk about what the study did say. Okay, and great. then because you're kind of already kind of prepping the why we don't accept <laughs> no, 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 conclusions, okay. and we haven't even gotten to what they are. Yet. No, no, no. Well, I was I was basically just going through the beginning of this, you know, talking about the how many the demographics that they studied and how many of each. Right? Okay, you're right. I am kind of getting into that. Um, the the study ultimately is looking at. A, a stable heterosexual biological family compared to a broken family that um, that the mother or father ended up in a relationship with a with same sex or was um, or, or a divorced mother raising children or divorced father raising children and it also included in there um, adopted parents and how and how they um, and how they fared and so he has. His, you know, and I was thinking that that was the other thing that I was going through, thinking about what are the possible um, uh, couplings that you could have, like because okay. you can have, you can have a. There, there's one confounding that I'm seeing in that uh, in the study they had the frequency of being arrested, right? Well, one thing that the study doesn't talk about is that uh, homosexual couples, or homosexual people in general, will tend to uh, gravitate towards. Uh, metro areas where there is a higher concentration of police. So whereas you have a poor family in a rural town that might not see a policeman even once a year, you know, mm-hmm. y- you know, you're dealing with uh, metropolitan people, right? And that's one thing that's just completely not in the study. Okay, so he missed that. Yes, um, Brian, you were asking about uh, you were asking about permutations of different types of couples, there's a lot of genders out there that I don't think that this study even touched upon. No, I didn't even touch, like, uh, okay, so I was thinking, so there's heterosexual biological, right? Heterosexual divorced, um, 
divorced with a, with a biological child. Then you could have a heterosexual couple that has a um, heterosexual couple that is adopted. You can have you can end up with a heterosexual divorced um, couple that that adopted. You can have a um, heterosexual um, couple that in that, oh, that is remarried, male or female. Then you can have you can have um, two men that decided to raise a child. You know, two women that decided to raise a child. You can have a, a woman that divorced and then and is now married to a woman, um, raising a, raising children. I mean, it just it goes on and on. Um, and so he so he did he did have to limit it. Um, and so his he ends up with uh, he ends up with a column called all other that he right sticks all, all other that different permutations in. So he has the single single parent home, the step family. Um, he has uh, divorced late, so after eighteen. Um, adopted by a stranger, uh, gay mother, gay father, and uh, heterosexual biological family is what he ends up breaking it down with. And then they go through and I, and this one I, I still don't get. What is the p value? Can you explain that to me, Michael? Population. Is that what the p value is? Yes. Okay. So so they're looking for a p value greater than point zero five percent. I thought that was the confidence value. Like, there's statistical ways of determining whether or there's, not your sample size was big enough and fell yeah. within the standard deviation okay. enough that it could be relied upon. There you go. That's what I was looking for when I was looking for the p-value. So gotcha. they're looking for a p-value of greater than 0.05%. Or so I guess and 5%. And that's standard. You, yeah. you typically, in statistics, throw out things that don't have that much confidence. That's saying that you basically have 95% confidence that these numbers are... Uh, legitimate for the population that you study. Okay, right. So as they're going through this, um, they they he finds and m most of the statistical values they have are lesbians um, versus your um, intact biological family. That's where he finds most of them, but that's also where he had the majority of people to answer the questions. I guess that's not true. I, I should take that back. He, um, because there were certainly, uh, adopted families and divorced families, which I don't remember them saying in this what, what the, what the percentages for all of those were. So it, it seems like, so th this report is, is certainly not all of the data. This is, this is definitely, um, summed up from, from what, what the, I guess the, the report that he sent to peer reviewers was. Anybody else get that impression? Uh, absolutely, based on all of the different uh, news stories written about this study. And that's the other thing that I was going to get to because, you know, they, they talked about how there was only two couples that actually were, like, raising a child together in this study. All the rest of them were broken homes. And so you end up basically looking at the biological um, heterosexual family versus some sort of broken family or an intact adopted family. And so he finds all of these differences. And I don't know, do we, do we want to go too much into all the differences? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I mean, people could go sure. look up the study and look don't at really these. Don't really have time. They've right. got a link to look up the study, so. Yeah. The things I'd like to point out are, one, how sex negative this whole study is. Okay. Okay, it is considered you are, the, the higher number of sex partners you've had in your life when you took this study uh, basically correlates to how bad a person you are. So if you, um, that, you know, they basically have numbers in here about how, how many the average person has and that depending on which category you're in, you might have more or less partners on average. Right. So, I mean, there's that, you know, conservative, like, like that's being cited as, well, you know, obviously these kids are worse off. So that's an interesting, 
interesting quiet bias. So that, you would you call know, that a judgment call more than than fact. Yeah, yeah. And I would and tend to. Well, agree it's, with it that. might be a fact, but it's, it's being promoted in a way that that seems to call into question what their motives are. Okay, Michael. Uh, this isn't the only type of study that you would find that in, and in the DSM, you would actually find some uh, mental disorders where uh, the number of sexual partners a person has had in a given period of time is something that they would take into consideration as far as mental health. So I, I think it's something important to look at. It's it's the presentation that this guy has when he uh, labels people as having more partners in certain categories. I think that's what's important. He really so does have it bolded that, hey, guess what? This is the, the group that's most likely to be sexually promiscuous. So, Michael, is he is he basically kind of tarring them as being mentally ill by implying the number of sexual partners? Within the community that would understand what he's writing, yes. Okay. That's interesting. So, but... So it's a quiet bias, also. It's a, it's a it's a sneaky bias. Well, it's a it's a bias in the DSM, and I would say that this has a lot to do, in my opinion, with uh, this with the way that we view sex in general, and and that we instead of seeing instead of having a healthy view of it, that a lot of times we have a negative view of it. Oh, I lost somebody. No, you didn't lose anybody. Hold on. No, I think we lost Michael. We lost Michael. Pause this. So to, to sum up what I was saying, basically, I don't think that we always have the most healthy view of sex in this culture. No, we don't. No. <laughs> no. And and you I, know, if it's if it's anything other than a vanilla missionary position, it's treated as if it's some sort of some sort of perversion in most cases. Right. So. And I think that that is a bias of the DSM. And I, but I think that you kind of have to use the DSM when you're doing this kind of research. And you just have to understand that historically the DSM has been very sex negative and very anti-gay. Right. It I wasn't. Mean, it was. It was only in the seventies where being gay got removed from the DSM as a malady. So. So. It still has some like, room to grow. Sounds to me like they should be using the Kinsey report more than the DSM. Yeah. Is but okay. So is there anything in here that is like demonstrably a problem? Is there anything in here where 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 it's like like we are demonstrably screwing up children in any of these demographics? Are you asking for? Uh, opinion, I'm asking for or, opinion. Or do you yeah, think that's get, what they're concluding. Get, I mean, uh, I don't. I, in their conclusion, they were quite vague. I think about this whole thing. They ultimately say that the gold standard is a heterosexual biological family and that everything else is subpar and it has all of these differences but not all of these differences are necessarily bad i mean look at look right. at two men raising well, children and voting averages his, we've had the single mom and her mother or father or you know someone else raising the kids they weren't necessarily even in a relationship you know historically you can go back and see that that you know what we consider the atomic family it's not really always been there. They've, they, they've had so many different variations of it. And, you know, e even traditionally with in a marriage, you would have parents and other, you know, tribal almost, you know, tribal stuff, they, all sorts of different things. And to try and say, OK, you know, we're going to get it down to saying somehow concluding that just the man and woman is the only way to go to be healthy. It's like that goes against history. We know from history that the, there's no set pattern it, it, it i think it's, it has nothing to do with sex or anything it all has to do with just how you do the parenting and you know to, to try and conclude anything is silly 
But that's what sociology research is trying to do. Right. And one of the things that, that, that I think that this study is being misused is, is, is to come out and say, well, see, this study says that, that, um, uh, that gays raising parents is harmful to the child. And I don't think it says that. Um, you know, they, 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 even in the conclusion, they're, they, they, they don't necessarily say that. They, they do, they do say, that it, that the child is is best in a heterosexual biological family. I think it do, they they do say that in their conclusion, and and then they show the variance in all of these other um in all these other um situations. But I don't think that they show demonstrable harm in any way whatsoever. Well, as far as the, they're trying to, if you if you look at the chart, uh, the intact bio family. In, in none of the things that they display on the chart uh, is there any. Uh, evidence that any other group does better than the intact biofamily in any category anywhere on that chart. And there are things that are not on that chart, such as GPA, which would have been a no-brainer. You should include, well, how, how did they do in school? Right. You and know? the other, the other one that and you don't see that on the chart because they don't want to show things like that. The other one that's biased is the, uh, is voting. So they show, um, intact biological family at 57%. They and then they show um, uh, two fathers at seventy three percent. Those people voting, and then they show, and then the only one that they consider statistically significant is that uh, is that um, two mothers. Their 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 children only vote forty one percent. That's the one that's significant. The one that the one that is that sticks out that is lower than the than the heterosexual family. So you're right. So there is some there is some stuff in here that is statistically significant that that does show in certain situations the the heterosexual family does not do as well. But they don't mark any of those as significant. So it is severely biased towards the heterosexual couple. It makes me wonder about uh, Regnerus's family. What kind of a family background he came from? I don't even want to go there. I, well, I don't. How, how many of us here are, are products of a broken home, if you will? I, I know I officially am. Yeah, I am. I am. Yeah, you know, I am. So Mac is not. I cannot all, chime in on that one. Yeah, are we all jacked up then? <laughs> no, yes. I think um, Max is jacked up as any of us. <laughs> yeah, I'm absolutely as jacked up as any of you. <laughs> but but that's an interesting point, right? I don't think that Mac is any better or worse off than I am. Yeah. You know, in in most of these categories that they're talking about, we have a difference of opinion on a lot of things, and that yeah. may have to do with our childhood. But I think that there's that they're reaching here. Now, technically, I had four female parents. No wonder you're so screwed up. <laughs> yep, I had a mom and three sisters, and the three sisters did a lot of the uh, did a lot of the parenting. Sure, I can definitely say when my sister tried to parent for me, she really messed me up. <laughs> There, there's one here that especially disturbs me on this chart, and okay. it's uh, if you've ever been forced to have sex against your will. Basically, it's saying if you have anything other than two biological intact parents in your family, you are more likely to get raped. That, Whereas if they would have that's just very uh, ugly. looked at geographic location and whether or not these people are in metro areas, that would you know raise their chance of getting raped, you know, and and show that this is really a confounding of what they're showing. You know, to say that just because you had some some gay parents that you're you're more likely to get raped, how does that work? How yeah. do you make the yeah. connection? Where is the causation you there? You, you can't. Know, it's well, not. and I I I think I need to I think I need to chime in on this from the standpoint of coming from a unbroken biological 
And every time you say biological parents, I keep picturing non-biological parents in my mind. <laughs> They're powerful, powerful, powerful androids. Um, as 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 one who comes from a non-broken biological family, if I were asked how my growing up went, I think that the term "like a rug." probably comes into my answer somewhere. I think that I would tend to, I may be less honest with my answer because I want to, because I do come from that, from that culture where I'm basically, uh, I'm a, I'm a white forties male adult from white parents who came from the forties. Hmm. Well, from everything I've learned, I'm glad I come from a broken home. I, I think if my parents had stayed together, they would not have been happy and things would have been really messed up. And I probably would have ended up in worse shape. So, you know, yeah. honestly, Ian, a lot of that broken part of the home happened after you had the kids, though. They broke quite a bit. <laughs> Here's another one that they, that they didn't feel was significantly uh, um, is that uh, the alcohol abuse was, was much lower amongst uh, um, lesbian mothers. Uh, children, Interesting. Um, where it was pretty much the same amongst uh, the heterosexual and the um, and gay fathers, uh, adopted pretty much the same, uh, divorced. Uh, oddly enough, late divorced um, kids were slightly less likely to drink. Um, Step parents about the same as divorced. Single parents uh, about this about the norm. So they didn't consider it con that con significant either. So there's a lot. Of, so clearly, there there's a lot of stuff in here that they just. They, their baseline was the heterosexual family. That was their that was their norm, their gold standard. And if it deviated from that, that's what they that's what they showed us. Right. You Which know, does if, not I, seem to go with the actual statistics in the world. Like, unfortunately, eight percent of the general population, regardless of where you come from, unfortunately, it's a lot higher than that that have been sexually abused. You know, it's so it, it doesn't seem like like that might be what they came up with as their norm, but that's not society's norm. Right. But the other thing is, is that I don't really think that they covered economics like they should. Yeah. They asked the question, but I mean, let's face it. We know that that parent that that children of more affluent. um Well, I mean, there's differences between, you know, low income, middle income and high income uh, uh children that they turn yeah. out differently. In each of those demographics, they do, and that's yeah, I, not. I think it, it almost always effect. turns out that economics has a lot more to do with sociological statistics than any other single factor. And I would tend to agree with that. And that's one of the that's one of the flaws that I see in this study. Um, and and amongst many other is that they don't take into it the consideration that a, a lesbian couple or you know or, or gay couple in different economic ranges will have different effects on the kids. And that, right. and, and what I think this does maybe show us is that a stable family is always better than a broken one. But we already knew that. Yeah. One of the things that we know uh, here in Colorado Springs, uh, as far as abstinence education, is uh, when Focus on the Family moved here, they, they pushed for it very largely in schools. And the school districts that are around Focus on the Family on the north side of Colorado Springs, they all had an increase in chlamydia rates. <laughs> just skyrocketed because they weren't teaching enough in their sex ed classes. And from this study, you would think that the stereotypical Christian one man, one woman family as a role model is the best role model and that all other alternative 
uh, relationships are very bad for you to show a child. That's what it seems like it's trying to say. Mm -hmm. And that completely flies in the face of what we know happens when you don't teach kids that it's okay to have these other types of relationships. Well, and we've certainly covered abstinence-only education and shown what a failure it is. Yes. Well, you you can see where they're trying to say that the, the parents that are the intact biological family are, you know, they have children who have had less sexually transmitted infections, and that just does not seem to be the trend as far as, from an educational standpoint, if that's all you're presenting as a role model to children, you know? Right. It, I, it seems a bit fishy to me. A lot of the numbers really do. And and I guess what, what really comes back to for me is that this guy apparently has a ton of data, We'll give them that. You know, it may not be collected in all the ways that we would like to. But the fact that of all this data, that it seems like another one of these cases where he already had the title for his article and he got some data so that he could say it. He got you know, the it data doesn't, and it doesn't, it to prove it? Yeah, well, I, I, one, I don't know that he proves a whole lot. And like Brian pointed out, he doesn't even think he proved a lot. No, he well, doesn't. He, but it he seems like have, he had the title of his article he before he had the data. Okay, here's what – here's – I mean part of what he says right from the beginning that he is doing is that he wants to take a look at the results of parents, um, you know, uh, of children that were that were raised in these different family structures – you know, from 18 to 39. But he says right from the start in here that you can't compare it to what's happening right now, that the family structures have changed in the last 20 years. He's very clear that lesbian couples are choosing to raise a child now together where, where it wasn't happening as much. He didn't, he didn't, he couldn't get that demographic. But now, as that's becoming a more common thing, that study can be done in 20 years, but it can't be done now. Um, and and he and he admits that in the article. So he goes through this, and I think that he they really want to show a, a a difference, um, you know, a demonstrable harm. But they weren't. But I don't feel that he succeeded. I know that they that they tried to make that case, but even he doesn't make it very strongly in his in his conclusion. And ultimately, there's a reality here, and that these children. And in their parents ended up in these relationships much by circumstance. They probably didn't intend to go and get divorced and, and necessarily end up in a same-sex relationship after that, right? I mean, and maybe they did, but it. what we need to know is how do we help these children as best possible? Because the, because the reality of the situation is that every single one of these family structures that he outlines is going to happen. Right. So how do we help people in the best way is really what we should be talking about here. We should be – because I'm okay with identifying the differences and where we have weak spots. But what is happening with this study is that these anti, anti-gay anti and lesbian um, – uh, reports and stuff like that are trying to use this to show that uh, gay and lesbians shouldn't be adopting children. And that's really what they want to use this for. And he had to go through an ethics review because people really were, you know, they, they were saying this was an ethical, the way he did it was terrible. But ultimately, I don't think that he was, um, that I, I agree with, um, with the university that he was not, um, uh, it wasn't scientific misconduct, right? And and it didn't and it didn't suffer from uh, from anything that a typical sociology study suffers from. We have a problem with sociology studies in general, and that they lack 
in methodology, that they are not as tight as, as we need them to be to get really good data from them. And this was no worse than a lot of the others. So I don't, and he also says that this wasn't a peer review. Um, study, it was just a commentary, which is, a, which is a problem in itself, itself, because you read this and it says it's a study. And I expect it to be a study, but it's a commentary based on what he's said in other articles now. Okay. You know, as far as, as far as the university deciding it's not scientific misconduct, you know, this is the University of Texas. They neglect, they didn't, they decided not to formally, they decided not to do a formal inquiry, but doesn't a formal inquiry down in Texas involve Two men in the street and fill in their hands. <laughs> it includes a duel in which they didn't do. Um, but but here's the thing is that by saying that he wasn't um, guilty of scientific misconduct doesn't say that his study's not still crap, right? It doesn't right, validate right. the study. But you They're hear, just saying that he didn't do anything really wrong. That's exactly right. But that's, any good. but that's not how these people are misreporting this. They're saying, oh, see, he, he wasn't guilty, so the study is valid. It doesn't make it a good study. It just means that he wasn't negligent. Well, and here is what for me is the conclusion of all of this. Let's say it's, let's say he did do it right. Let's say the data does show that, um, that, that these families, you know, in, if when you have an apples to apples situation, that they're better off if they're raised by, um, intact biological families. The problem I've got is it, it's, they're, it's being used for a political agenda that shouldn't be decided this way. You know, no, like you say, not. if you want to go ahead and use the data to decide laws, then the first thing you're doing is outlawing divorce. Yeah. Right. Well, that's the thing. Um, if you're not divorce, willing to go there, then shut the fuck up about yeah. the rest of it, right? Oh, no, d- divorce has done more to damage the parental marital system than um, marriage equality is going to do or anything like that. So, yeah, if, if you're going to look at, you know, how are we going to fix it, that'd be the first thing you do. And the problem is you do that, you're going to have couples killing each other. Well, then you have, uh, you have non-intact biological families. Yeah, what, what happens if somebody, you know, someone's killed in a car accident? Do you exterminate the rest of the family because they're not going to be optimal anymore? Yeah. Wait, the, I mean, it, wait it gets is that an option? To even think that we can use a sociological study like this to make comment on what families should be. And I, I think that's where I get the most pissed off on it. Because this comes like a, like astrology, you know? You have all these data points and stuff, and it looks all really scientific, and you're like, oh, look, I mean, it's not like they just picked these numbers out of the air. It's based on this angle and blah, blah, blah blah, 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 and bullshit, bullshit. It doesn't matter in the end. If you're really making your choices on how to live life and how to construct your society and what you'll accept and what laws you'll pass based on this information, valid, not valid, it's ignorant to me. And it's it's just purely filling an agenda kind of. From a personal experience, I've seen heterosexual couples who have biological children who have no business whatsoever being together. They can't stand each other. They don't work and they mess up their kids because of, because they're going to stay together to you know, because that's the right thing to do for the kids. Like, no, if you guys are going to be fighting all the time and can't live with each other, it's not the right thing to do for the kid. It's actually going to cause more harm. Break up, get away from each other. You know, but be be reasonable, be sensible, make sure what you're doing is about protecting the kids. Just because you guys can't get along anymore doesn't mean you have to fight all the time when you're, you know, states apart. But, you know, this whole idea that you have, you know, the biological couples are always going to be great. No, I've seen way too many times where divorce is the best thing for a family. Yeah, let me point out a a couple more things about this study. Um, It was not a long term study. It's not a peer reviewed study. 
it was done over two days where they collected this data and decided what to what to keep in it. And of course it's all self-reported. Right? There's there's nothing here where that that we can that we can say what the way that they reported things is actually the way that it was. So there's so there's really nothing to test here. It, it it's it's a commentary. And, and you know, again, it, it seems to me to be a politically motivated commentary. I don't they know. They knew exactly yeah. what they were doing. You I, might I be right. This, I think to suggest they we just put the information out there, people draw their own no, they this 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 has got Carl Rovian agenda <laughs> written all over it. This was Especially extremely well crafted to have exactly the reaction that yeah. you Oh, is that Michael? Points. Uh, a statistic that says, hey, gays are voting even more now. You know, or, and kids <laughs> and gay people are voting even more now. You better go out to the polls. I mean, we just had the personhood amendment not make it to our ballot. Yay. And that was huge oh, because that would have motivated awesome. a whole bunch of people to come out and vote, you know, who otherwise wouldn't have any other reason to vote. They would have been, you know, there for that one issue. And things like this get put out, you know, during the presidential election cycle just to get people to the polls. It does. It makes you really cynical because, you know, they're supposed to be science and, and we've, I think, shown enough evidence as to why this, if it, if you want to call it science, it ain't the good science. Well, let me point but, out some other issues. Oh, go. <laughs> um, this article, once again, I mean, they claim not peer reviewed and it's, and it's clear by how it was published. Um, typically these, these, um, kind of studies take nine months or longer to become published. They have several rounds of peer review. This had one round of peer review and it took three weeks for it to be published. So once again, it seems like the, um, this, uh, research that the, the, the social science research that, um, that paper or magazine or whatever it is that published this, uh, they were part of the agenda here. Because they, 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 they didn't, they didn't check it out. They didn't require, um, a lot of peer review, right? And after it's published, they're all going, well, it's just a commentary. It's, it's not an actual study. And they're trying to wash their hands of it that way. When the fact of the matter is, is that they didn't do their due diligence and they published this piece of crap. And like I said, they did it because they had an agenda. To do. Well, and, and so the agenda has to be, um, spread to, to where it was published. And this is supposed to be one of the top sociology journals. So I don't know what that says about them, but it ain't good. Yeah, and it's too bad. I mean, sociology is one of those softer sciences, and I don't think that soft science needs to be entirely dismissed. It just needs to be taken with a grain of salt sometimes. Because, again, you have these things that seem to be talking about individual children, and they're not. They're talking about trends. They're talking about aggregate numbers and stuff like that. And we as human beings don't understand that very well. well and if, even the scientists don't always understand that well. They get confused as to what's a, you know, what's a, a number and what's a human being. What if I presented this like this? I said, listen, we've done this study. Here are some trends for people to be aware of so that they could do better. Well, first it would have to be a, uh, a longitudinal study. Which it's you, not. It's not. You can't show a trend. All you can show is a snapshot. And that's another problem with the data is that it is a snapshot. But I, I have a huge problem with the fact that it's that, that it's a questionnaire and, and, and then they're presenting it as uh, as evidence of something. I can feel I can say whatever I want on that questionnaire. It, are you going to ver- verify it? There's no way to verify it. That's my point that I was making is that if I were given a questionnaire that asked me how my parents raised me, I'd probably I'd probably answer in favor of my parents. But, you know, not necessarily accurately, though. 
I found- it is interesting that intact families do have that kind of social pressure of there's a lot more family secrets. And one of the things yep. that broken families do is, is I think like Max kind of suggesting is it breaks the secrets because basically so much else is broken. You know, keeping all the all the dirty laundry in the in the house is no longer really important. But it it is a very real thing. I mean, you know, I do come from a broken household, but mine I'm a post eighteen divorced kid. Mm-hmm. My parents got divorced when I was twenty, so I, I had the the standard family growing up. Oh, it was so much better after they got divorced because they should it, have been divorced ten years beforehand. Has it driven you to do marijuana? Yes. It has. <laughs> well, then I think that you fit one of our criteria here. No, I'm pretty sure I fit a couple of these. Things, but, <laughs> and, and that's fine. You know, I, I uh, but, but, you know, again, there's, it's just a lot of things to keep in mind. You know, the, the format of a questionnaire, like you say, does mean it's all self-reported data. The trend in families, and, and again, I don't have evidence to back this up. I just have anecdotal evidence. I'll admit that, but I, I think a lot of people have seen the same thing I have, is that, you know, the, that family unit will sometimes create an inviolate, you can't speak about the family outside the family kind of thing. When, you know, you have these raging alcoholics where everybody kind of covers for them. And right. and crap like that happens a lot more often in intact families because there's more something to lose. And again, just looking at these numbers that don't seem, they don't seem real. You know, I don't know as I, I don't know as I buy the inviolate thing though. I, I rarely even wear purple. Well, okay. I take it back. You know me. I wear purple all the time. Michael? Okay. Especially applying that silence to uh, keeping rapes silent Mm -hmm. because it might shame someone in the family. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are certain more progressive families that uh, would never tell a a child to remain silent about it, you know, and never tell them that they they have shame, you know. Mm -hmm. And that would really uh, bring out something different in in this study if... uh, if we could look at that effect on those numbers well, as far as yeah you know, well if we're really going to children being raped more well yes exactly yeah so so they they want to show that 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 unintact families are more you know that there's more rape going on but they didn't ask how many abortions they were having i mean let, i mean if we're going to do it and, and we really want to bias it let's go all the way yeah so uh, i mean ultimately i i i think the study really doesn't tell us much and, and, even- and again, I don't think I, I think the fact that it's trying to be used for basically suggesting how laws should go is is just really ingenuous, uh, disingenuous and and stupid. Like you say, I mean, it, it, it shouldn't affect things. Like I said, even if you show that every single kid that comes out of a gay household is screwed up beyond measure. And again, I don't believe that. But even if you had that evidence, it doesn't mean you shouldn't allow for for same sex marriage. Because marriage isn't about raising children. So, I mean, it's, it's again, it's got this, it, it, it jumps on a bandwagon that I think if we don't point it out, we are complicit in allowing it to roll down the street. Right. Here's the other thing is that, you know, let, let's say that they, they asked, you know, um, children that were raised by either a lesbian or a gay couple about their sexual orientation. Let's say they're more likely to be gay. Is it because they were raised by heterosexual um, or non-heterosexual um, parents? Or is it because they're just more honest about their actual sexual proclivities? Well, right. there's an honesty you know. thing there. There's also if, if they're the biological child of, this, uh, of what, at least one of the members of the same-sex couple, <laughs> then there's a genetic component to sexual orientation. 
uh, you probably have it. <laughs> you sure. know, you're, you're far well, more likely. How, how many people are living in denial over it because they don't want to tell their parents and stuff? You know, that's, yeah. There, there is that. And, them. you know, if the parents are going to be honest, probably the kids are going to be more likely to be honest. Yeah. It, well, it's and, how they're raised. Right. So they're, they're, and, and another question I'd love to see on a report like this is how often have you um, degraded another person because they're different from you? Put a question like that in there. Ask. See if people are going to answer honestly because I would be willing to bet the kids raised by non-traditional parents are probably less likely to because in their minds, you don't, you know, they're different enough. You see people that are different. You don't go after them. Yeah. And I'd love to see a question like that in one of these studies. And they do point out some differences in race in the conclusion. Um, and one is which is that they say that uh, um, they say whites are less likely to have children where minorities are more likely to have children. So they did get into some race stuff in here, too. In these demographics. Well, I know there's some issues that the black culture is less accepting of homosexuality. Sure. I've heard that, and um, but you know, there's some cultural stuff that, like that here and there that it is race-related. But I don't feel like they even really touched the things that I thought were important for a study like this. Right. And maybe well, that's because I'm not a sociologist. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't think they cared about the important stuff they, oh. they were just you know we've, we've said that they were trying it sounds like they were trying for a very direct association with everything saying this is perfect everything else is wrong and uh, brian you're not a sociologist so clearly you don't know what's important you're a <laughs> geologist and you didn't a they didn't ask in this study what kind of rocks are involved <laughs> well and there's no seismic survey either and so i have a real problem even you know digesting the research uh, seismic doesn't matter well, I mean, that's important. Seismic. <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess, I, I guess, and, and but I, I don't think, and I wish I had a sociologist to ask about this. Um, but I mean, Michael is the closest that I can get um, with a psychologist, right? I, I mean, are my factors important? I believe so. And did they cover any of them? Um, not well enough if they even touched there. And. I think part of that has to do with the scope of, of the, the study being too limited and it needing a, a lot of follow-up. For every question you answer, you get three more, and we're focusing on the three more from right. this obviously uh, small in-scope study that's trying to bash gay families. Right. Well, and they got $35,000 from a biased source who they claimed didn't influence the research. I mean, I, I, all scientists say that, and it's a reason we constantly have the discussion as to, so where did you get your money from? Exactly. I it, mean, it seems to always be very, very important to the... I, the I wanted to throw in here also that the groups that are using the study to further their agenda, can't we kind of always rely on those groups to misuse scientific data anyway? Yes. Because they only they have such <laughs> infrequent use of it because they only drag it out when it helps them. Right. Uh, and they... Yeah. And they Feverently deny well, and, it every other time. And <laughs> science doesn't help them that often, right? Because usually it proves them wrong. Yeah, so they have a anyway. lot. They don't have a lot of experience with it. Sad and like I said, I, I would, I too would love to have a, a, a sociologist talk about this because I don't know what they generally look at. It seems like it's impossible to run a really, really good sociological study that would hit all of these things. Because, like you say, anybody coming at this would have their own feelings of what's important. And I don't know, I don't know you could in a finite amount of time ask every possible question and then have enough apples to compare to apples, sort out the oranges and all that kind of. Well, that's kind of why you have stuff. to limit the scope. And I think that trying to address this on 40 different criteria points might be unrealistic, at least for, you know, even as preliminary as this study was. 
So do you think we've talked this one to death? I think so. And I, I just want to say in conclusion that these things are a reality and we can't legislate against them. We have to accept them and try to help people best we can. And it's unfortunate that these kinds of studies are being misused in such a way that doesn't further that agenda. And maybe it's just my agenda that I want to help people as best I can. Right. Um, and, and not everybody does, but I, what I would want from from these kinds of studies is is data points to say listen these are statistically more likely be aware of them and let's see if we can help you other than that i i i would hate i, I hate that these are being used for people to try and um say well gay shouldn't adopt which i think is wrong why i mean we we can't show any demonstrable harm from it so why why would we deny these people um you know the the ability to to raise a child. It's I I think it's unfair that we're that this even being used that way. But and I'll I'll say it again. I I know I'm like a broken record. And if we are going to start having studies to figure out what people should legally be allowed to do with their children and not, then it needs to be applied to everybody. You know, I saw a bumper sticker the other day that I enjoyed. That you know that basically it was a gay sticker that asked, "When do I get to vote on your marriage?" Right. And you know, if we're going to vote on who should get married and who shouldn't, then it needs to be applied to everybody. This selective crap is garbage. And to you again, like like I said before, if the study came out and said that every single child is in worse situation, it still should not affect the legality of it. To your point, it is going to happen because it has been happening and will continue to happen. People will raise children just without all of the legal benefits that they should be entitled to as as citizens of this country. So the idea that we're going to scientifically discover whether or not you in particular should be able to adopt a child based on scientific studies just seems wrong. Like I said, if if they were going to do it that way, they, they should never give a child to somebody who's been divorced. Even if they're remarried and had children after that. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, mm-hmm. it's just not the way that anything else works. But when it comes to this one topic, suddenly, you know, it's all about the evidence and it's all about, you know, well, think of right. the children. What's the harm? Blah, blah, blah. And we don't do that on any other topic. And until we do, we shouldn't do it on this one. The other thing is, is that this does show that children of adopted parents don't fare as well as biological, too. So now it should be illegal to divorce and it should be illegal to adopt if you have a child you have to raise it now yeah and you can't die before they come of age apparently because apparently they, they, they have to be killed with you don't think they'd love that as part of their agenda that you can't you can't divorce and you can't adopt and you have you if you have a child you have to raise it do you think newt gingrich is really going to vote that into office into into law he's on his that fourth he fucking marriage yeah <laughs> Yeah, he's no These these idiots, and again, even look at this. Again, look at demographics. Look at those states that have the highest divorce rates. Red every goddamn time. Okay, I'm sorry. I I think practice what they preach. They're a bunch of liars. Um, there, there are several high up there Republicans who have are on multiple wives, and quite often they, you know, they've divorced their wives because they were sickly and stuff. It's like, yeah, well, you're you're too old. I'm going to move on to a younger one. So the Republicans themselves that are going to use this are generally the ones who basically are the case against because they're the ones who have messed up the sanctity of marriage. <laughs> All right, we we've talked this one to we're, death, we're and now we're just jabbering. <laughs> yeah. All right, okay. Uh, well, that's good. So uh, um, next week, uh, Michael is going to join us again, and we're going to talk. We're going to talk about the atheism plus controversy. <laughs> yeah. and and there's Brian, something. There's something better than standard atheism now. Exactly. Yes. And Brian, I thought Brian, you guys were really happy as atheists. 
Now you have to have atheism plus. Who's your god? <laughs> we, just, uh, we just really wanted a, a cross sign in our logo. That's yeah, all. exactly. Yeah, that's exactly I, what it was. I, I, I'm, I'm polyagnostic. There's, there's Poly-agnostic. a bunch of gods that I don't know if I believe in or not. <laughs> that works. But both Troy and myself have been fairly active on my Facebook page, people. We want you to check that out, leave input, get involved in some of our discussions there. Well, we have articles and other stuff being linked to there. Yep. So. And welcome are my YouTube listeners. This is fantastic. Um, uh, Michael has been helping me promote the YouTube channel. And so I've been putting, I've got the podcast up on YouTube. And so that's, there's one more way for people to listen to the podcast. Um, and that's on YouTube. So, um, you can check us out there as well. If, uh, um, if you want to hear us instantly instead of waiting to download it, check out YouTube. You know, if you guys say you've been active on your Facebook page, I've got Brian's word that he hasn't burned any damn calories doing it. So he hasn't been that active. He hasn't what? He hasn't been that active. Okay. He hasn't burned any calories, so he can't have been that active. You cannot. Uh, you, you can't be active. Are you used to his humor by now? I just didn't hear it. I, I apologize. Hey, did you guys hear about the guy that was cut in half? He's all right now. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> all right. Say good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. For more information about the Amateur Skeptics, go to AmateurSkeptics.com. To send us feedback, suggestions, or big flaming insults, feel free to contact us at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. Other contact information can be found on our website. You can leave a voicemail for the Amateur Skeptics Podcast at 720-295-7785. Music for this podcast was provided by OFM. To find out more about OFM, go to mindspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. This podcast is released under Creative Commons No Derivatives 3.5 license. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. Amateur Skeptics website, Facebook, and podcast album art is provided by and copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture. Larger prints or custom pieces are available upon request. 